Welcome, and thank you for listening today. This Caregiver Life podcast focuses on caregivers from all walks of life. Throughout the episode, we will hear from caregivers on the front line, those who do the day-to-day, sometimes hour-to-hour caregiving. We will also hear from care recipients, professionals in the field of caregiving, and other various topics of interest to those living this caregiver life. Today we have as a guest on this caregiver life, Carrie Van Wert White. Carrie served three tours of duty in Europe and the U.S., leaving the service as an Army Major, a paratrooper, and Special Operations Command at Fort Bragg. White continued to embrace the fitness standards she loved in the military, training nationally as a fitness instructor to train others in her local community, while she and her husband of 30 years raised their nine children. She also wrote for several local newspapers in her community, advocating for the many achievements of community members. Four years ago, her oldest daughter suffered a traumatic brain injury in an auto accident following combat deployment to Afghanistan. White spent the next year by her daughter's side, advocating and supporting her as she remained in a coma. Three years ago, the Whites brought their daughter home to live with the family. As the mother of five military children, White continues to pursue veteran support initiatives. Selected as a 2018 Elizabeth Dole Foundation Fellow representing the state of North Carolina, White seeks to bring greater awareness and support to our nation's 5.5 million military caregivers. Carrie joins us today to talk about veteran-directed care, a program that she uses for uh, to help care for her daughter, and a program that she feels passionately about. So, I hope you'll stay with us and listen to Carrie's call to action on veteran-directed care. Yay! Yay! Perfect. So that so that worked because you didn't click on a link, right? Another another thing. You sent me a new link, and for whatever reason, I did click on what I just did now, and it finished on me. But this one allowed me to join you, so I think it's the website. I'm not going to blame us. Oh yeah, I don't blame us. We don't, we don't ever blame us. <laughs> otherwise, otherwise, we'd have like a life full of blame. <laughs> well, yep. it's going to be just you and I because Jen is stuck in a furniture store with tornado warnings in Jacksonville, Florida. Oh boy. Well, I'm fine with whatever you want to do. This sounds okay. great. Yeah, let's do this. Okay, cool. All right. So I'll do what I'll do is we'll we'll edit out this first little part. Um, but so I'll ask you. Um, I'll, I'll set up a, like a little bumper ahead of time. I mean, you know, after we do this, where I'll do a little recording and and um, introduce you. So you could send me a little bio of you that you might want me to read. That would be good, because we have to imagine okay. that none of the listeners know anything at all about you, right? Okay. So it'd be good. It'd be good if I had a little bio to read. Um, and I'll do it. Got I think it. that I'm going to call this one a call to action. I love it, and it's veteran directed care. I believe is the correct terminology for it. Singular. I don't know why, but I yeah. believe it's veteran directed care. And that's what we'll call it: veteran directed okay. care, a call to action. Okay. Awesome. That sounds good. All right. Is that good? All right. So. So I make believe that everybody knows all about you and okay. I'll, and I'll ask you the first question and then this will, this will actually work out really well. It's kind of hard for two of us to interview people. 
Um, it's because we don't see each other. So you can't, I can't figure out if she's going to say something. And then I get these weird long pauses. Yeah. Yeah. You don't have the feedback from visual. I know. Mm -mm. So, okay. So we'll get started. So, um, thank you for joining us on this caregiver life, Carrie. You, as we said, you're the caregiver, you're a caregiver for your daughter, Kimmy. And one of the reasons why we have you on today is to talk about a program called veteran directed care. Would you give us a little bit of a background on veteran-directed care first, and then let us tell the listeners how the impact of this program is for Kimmy and for yourself? Sure. Thank you, Mary. Thanks for having me on on this, um, you and and Jennifer having me on this podcast. So veteran-directed care is, uh, it's not a new program, but it is slow to infiltrate our VA medical centers. And it's because it's a voluntary um, acceptance by the VA medical centers for the program. But it is essentially, it's a shift in, uh, in the way that we're handling the long-term care needs of our veterans. And um, specifically, it gives veterans choices and control over their health care needs. So it's, it's really taking the health care system to the next level by privatizing, so to speak, the, um, the care requirements, the needs as, as anticipated and as um, voiced by the veterans and their caregivers. And, um, and, and by using their needs, a budget is set up with, an aging agency representative who is an expert, a counselor from the local aging area office who, who can help them determine what would be an adequate budget to help see those needs met. And then, um, and then they, they are free to hire individuals and services on their own. Um, and there is oversight. It's a great program. Um, so in a nutshell, it's, it's really designing your own plan of care for long-term care as a veteran. And it allows you to stay at home. Yes. Yes, indeed. Veterans typically in this program are currently needing mm, 15, 20 hours per week of care in the home. But that isn't, that is, that's just a yardstick. That isn't an absolute, but it's, those are the are the veterans that are most at risk of being um, having to be placed in a in a, a nursing facility, and and by having this care, it does allow them to remain in the home. So, with the the um, the budget that's set up for a, a veteran with this program, does it allow for skilled care hours as well, or is it? segmented just to unskilled care hours. What are, what are the services that a veteran can utilize with this program? So the shift, the shift with veteran-directed care is from provider-oriented care to participant-directed or self-directed care. So it depends on what the needs are that the veteran voices. A budget is set up and the veteran um, will receive the care needs based on, based on his, his or her needs. And I can tell you as a testimonial, we need clinical level care, not every moment of the day, but our daughter is traumatically 
traumatic brain injured that we do need things such as um, deep suctioning and um, assessment for seizures and aspiration assessment, aspiration risk assessment, oxygen, feeding tube, medications through a feeding tube, clinical level care needs that are beyond uh, a non-skilled level of care. But the beauty of veteran-directed care is it allows flexibility to hire individuals to train them to the level that you need within reason. Um, and, and of course, it's obviously more expensive to train someone or have someone that you hire who is trained with the higher level needs. But it is not just for individuals that need um, showers, help getting into the shower or getting assistance to get to the toilet or things like that. It's definitely, it's got a wide range of, um, it's really for all levels of care. The idea is to to try to help the veterans stay in the home as long as possible. Okay. And so in, um, it's such a fabulous program. Is that, and is the way the program functioning here, because we're both in North Carolina, um, is, does it function that way across the country to your knowledge, or is that a little bit too far afield for you to kind of gra- under know what goes on in other areas? Well, I can tell you that it's approximately, uh, this is roundabout, so it's not an absolute, but approximately 62 of our, approximately, it depends how you measure what is a VA medical center, 170 VA medical centers in the country. It's about 62 or less than a third, um, or just just over a third, rather, of um, of VA medical centers have the program in place, and it is widely widely um, praised, and um, it's it's flourishing in a lot of VA medical centers in the country. North Carolina, unfortunately, with our um, with our VA medical centers only has one program in place operating and that's at the Durham VA Medical Center and there's only one participant in that program currently and guess who that person is <laughs> me <laughs> yeah or my daughter and I, you know I'm a huge advocate to get this on board in all our North Carolina VA medical centers as well as the rest of the com- country and that was secretary uh, Shulkin uh, that was his his um, one of his main goals when he was the previous VA director to um, to um, to get VA directed veteran directed care in every medical center in the country in three years. And that was two years ago. So we're a year from that. And as far as I know, even though uh, directors change goals and mandates pretty much stay in place unless they're they're, you know, they're changed by by the new director. So let's talk a little bit specifically about your situation, then we'll circle back a little later to a broader perspective again. But um, specifically, what was of interest to this program for you with Kimmy? Like, what drove you to you? You really had to hunt this program down. You worked really hard. You're the only one in the whole state of North Carolina, a test a test veteran, so to speak to see how it goes, I'm thinking, or they just gave it to you because if we didn't give it to Carrie, we might all really dislike the fact that she was going to sit in the parking lot and bug us every day. <laughs> <laughs> but, but how does it, what, what was the drive for this program for you? How has it helped you um, in the everyday care for Kimmy? 
So Kimmy came home January of 2015 after suffering her traumatic brain injury. And we were up and down the Eastern seaboard in hospitals, uh, trying to get Kimmy to emerge from her coma. She, she was so severely uh, injured that she did not emerge after a year. We brought her home January of 2015 and it was a surprise. We didn't realize, but she was still active duty. They hadn't retired her yet. And she retired um, 100% disabled with special compensation as a captain in the army. But she was um, she was privileged and 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 she was entitled, which we didn't know until right before January of 2015, that she was entitled to 24 seven skilled nursing care and coming home she was on oxygen she had a trach she uh, a trach uh, you know for breathing she was um, on a feeding tube and she was pretty comatose and for us to find out that we could have her in the home with skilled nursing care it was a it was a surprise it was scary but we took the plunge and no looking back, I had, I had actually three weeks before her coming home, I had visited several skilled nursing facilities, or I like to call them, SNF, I think people call them SNFs. And it was so depressing to think of putting my 25-year-old daughter in one of those facilities. And first of all, there, there really weren't. Um, I believe there was one that was 40 minutes away. And with the VA and the contracts of the VA, um, it we were limited to that. And I don't know that my understanding now is that contract's been lost. Um, and I'm not sure there is even a facility right now that, that would be appropriate for my daughter's level of care. But we, we found this out, we brought her home and we started with skilled nursing. And then when we transitioned to full-time vet status, when she retired the following October with six years of service, uh, transferring her GI benefits was, was, relatively easy to do to her daughter. Uh, she has now a seven-year-old daughter um, at the time of the accident. She was three, her daughter. But the transition to full-time vet status on the medical side of the house was anything but transparent for us. It was, Mary, it was moving from 24-7 care to 16. We were um, we were able to use her husband's dependent status after she retired for a little bit um, until the divorce. He divorced her, and after that divorce, we were entitled to no, no benefits. But prior to that, for a couple months, we were able to use that dependent status for what they call the active duty ECHO program, and we were entitled to 16 hours of skilled care through that. And the, um, and the other six hours we managed with her retirement pay, or rather her disability pay. So... But once the divorce happened, she went from literally having 24-7 care, most of it skilled, to what the VA was authorizing, which was six unskilled hours a day of care. Oh, wow. And, and through those six unskilled hours a day, that was through a contract agency. And so you were getting off-the-shelf help from representatives of CNAs, as skilled nursing, or not skilled, but certified nursing assistants who may or might, may not be able to feed depending on their level of CNA um, certification and um, not really having familiarity most of the time with brain injuries and handling that. So that was a really tough time. Um, so that really prompted me 
into researching what is out there to help us out because it was looking pretty dim. We were, you know, when you look at the, the, um, the caregiver journey, we were, I was at the lowest (laughs) during that time period. I was, it was, I was drowning and I was not able to paddle water. And, um, I guess it was, it, I don't know how, how I heard of it, but somehow through probably through hidden heroes, I, I heard about somebody just made a, a, a just made a remark about veteran directed care somewhere else in the country. And uh, that's why I applaud the Hidden Heroes um, Facebook social media page, because it's such a nice opening for so many things that you don't even know about that you can you can grasp. And I grasped that knowledge of veteran directed care, that limited knowledge. And I decided to research it further. And I asked about it at my local Durham VA Medical Center and they didn't know anything about it and they, they, there wasn't an awful lot of interest. It was again, voluntary to, to, to take on veteran directed care um, as it still is at this point, but it was 2017. So approximately after she had retired in 2016, it was maybe 10 months later, I, I started researching eight months later, I started researching veteran directed care one of my strategies is when I, when I really want something and I know Mary, you're like this, I like to go up against, um, I like to, I like to try to be positive about it and research it and come up with a strategy of trying to, to, um, to gain it through, through, um, knowledge and communicating with the right people. And in my case, the power of the pen has always been served me well with my journalistic background. And so I wrote an article after I did a lot of research, I was able to, to, um, to contact individuals based on doing a media story. Um, and I was able to talk with key individuals about the veteran directed care program. And then I wrote an article and I worked to get it published. It, it, it was published. Finally, I got it published in, um, hope magazine, the, um, 28, 2017 August issue of, um, TBI hope magazine. And, Um, and for me, it was, it was really, really, um, it helped me to truly understand the program and sold me. I really was, was quizzical. I wasn't sure that I, that the program was for Kimmy, but the more I read about it and the more I, I wrote about it, the more I realized this program can be everything to us to help keep Kimmy in the home. Because like I said, we were drowning and this program it, it seemed like it could be the answer. And I do have to say that um, it took about a year and a half before I got the program after this article came out. And the leadership in the VA Medical Center at Durham was very supportive, but there's a lot of, a lot of bureaucracy and there are a lot of, you know, they, they, they have a lot they have to move through, but they were able to bring us on board in October of 2018 to, to get veteran directed care. So I, so I'm going to, I'm going to spill the beans here a little bit and say that, um, about two months ago, I emailed the current director of the Durham VA and inquired about the veterans directed care program for my veteran, Tom, who our listeners who have been listening for a while know that he's a veteran with ALS and he did not respond to my email but he did have a social worker call me who told me that there was no program called veteran directed care at the Durham VA 
but she would be happy to give me some home health care hours of which I declined because I'm not happy with the home health care aides that we've had coming in. And I just assume do it myself, then deal with the ever changing aides. There's always a different aid. Um, and so you're training them and retraining them and the quality of the individual that comes in is not up to my standard of what I would want for anybody that I cared for, whether it was a family member or a friend, I would want more for them. So I said, thanks, but no thanks. Sure. Well, so let me add on to that, Mary. And that does, that does surprise, I guess it does surprise me, but it also doesn't surprise me. And that's why I'm so glad that you wanted to do a podcast on this program because so let me, let me give my, my analogy of the veteran directed care program that I think it is the, it is the answer for our veterans to help keep them in the home. And there has been a lot of research already. The program has been in existence since 2009 and I interviewed the grandfather of the program, who was a professor at Boston College. At, now he's retired and living a wonderful life down in Florida, but he's still very involved, and, and I've communicated with him. Kevin Mahoney is his name. And he was uh, really the grandfather of the uh, participation model of, of um, care, which allows the individual an individual to take care of himself, herself on the economy uh, without having to go to a facility and to budget based on the expertise of the aging agency that's in every local community with counselors that can help determine needs. And he set up this participation model of of long-term care. And he tested this program out back in the 90s back before 2000 in his research. And it was in certain Medicaid pockets around the country where he tested it. It was, it was widely supported, but it was sporadically placed and tried out. And so it wasn't until mid around 2005, 2006 that he ran into, I don't know if he ran into or or he was sought out by Dan Sheps of um, the VA and Laurie Gerard of um, the um, civilian side of the house, the um, federal agency for long-term aging. And they they sought him out to develop and test his model in the largest healthcare system in the world, the VA system. And so in 2009, they began implementing on a voluntary basis. And I asked Dan Sheps, why did you do, why didn't you mandate this? And he said, because to mandate might limit the success, but by making it voluntary, we knew we would get the VA medical centers that really wanted to be successful. We would get them on board and they would give it their best, their best shot at it. And so it, it, it was widely popular and unfortunately for whatever reason, it has not spread to every VA medical center. And I don't know. Mm-hmm. Go ahead. Throw the three, the three areas of why it is absolutely the future of taking care of our veterans economically. 
the VA, the veteran directed care system will allow veterans to hire their own workers. They can pay higher wages than what you would, you would get through a contracted agency. Because think about it, simple math, a contracted agency has to sustain itself. It's roughly half the amount of money that the VA pays to the contracted agency that they will pay to the worker. So that's lost for the overhead of the agency. But by hiring your own workers, you can hire for a wage that doesn't have the layer in between that you have to you have to foot the bill for. So it boosts the economy. It's higher wages. It helps the family. It it takes it takes the uh, family into the limelight. So you can hire family members. You can hire individuals and train them to the level that you need. You can get quality care, higher quality care for less money. It, so the other part of it is it saves the VA money. Because currently, I do know that I can only speak for the Durham VA Medical Center. I don't know if this is nationally. But they have a cap of $20 hour that they can pay to a contracted agency uh, for, for unskilled care, which is the preponderance of care for our veterans, especially with our aging population of veterans. $20 an hour, if that money was given to the veteran to use and hire, think about, he wouldn't have to pay 20, but think about how much more he could get for $20 an hour in services. And not just care, I mean, I'm predominant, I'm care because my daughter needs so much care, but there are other, other ways to use the money. You can use the money for getting the lawn mode if you can't get out there and do the lawn, or you can't get to the grocery store. You can hire somebody to go do that. So this options counselor who's from the economy can help with that and make, make you um, a list of the best way to utilize based on your needs, the money and your budget. And, and it's been researched and the model's been set up. The charts are there to determine based on where you live, how much you would be authorized based on your level of care needs. Now, this isn't wants, this is needs, but it's an on the economy options counselor who has who is part of the aging agency network in our country that has been around for decades and knows long term care. And that representative through a contract between the local VA medical center and that local aging agency, the, you have the best of both worlds. You have expertise to help you determine the needs and help you get so much more for your money. The veteran's dignity, the ability to live in your home longer. I know Chillicothe VA medical center, I think it was 2015, they cleared a wing out of their wellness center, which is their, their nursing facility element in their VA medical center, they were able to clear a wing and send those veterans home because they developed veteran directed care. They, they took it on board and they saved that VA medical center. That's just one. I mean, there's all kinds of studies out there that talk about the savings aspect to the VA. So, so what um, you're saying, do this, to use so this what you're program. saying is that the veteran directed care program by allowing veterans to remain at home eliminates on the VA side, just thinking about cost, eliminates the exorbitant cost of the skilled nursing facilities that that veteran would otherwise have to have because they couldn't live at home because there wouldn't be enough skilled hours or unskilled hours from a home healthcare agency. Mary, absolutely. In part, I mean, obviously there are times that 
that a, a veteran may have to go into a state home or something, but but it is an option that allows allows the best chance odds of keeping a veteran home. And the veteran's dignity is, is online here. And the privacy aspect, I have a great quote. I am in control of who walks through my door and is injected into my family life. Indeed, being able to hire family members is a definite bonus. And I take that from Laurie Rogers, who you're going to speak to here in a moment. But it's, it's privacy, you know, you, you, the comfort, the flexibility you have with this program, it's the future of long-term care. And it's, and, and the VA medical system, VA medical system is lucky to be the, the health system that this is being tested on a broad scale. And, and, and the research and, and this research is showing unbelievable positivity in all aspects and safety aspects. You would think Having a, a CNA come from an agency would be your safest route, right? But listen to this. This is a little side note. So this is a sidebar. My daughter, before I received veteran-directed care, coincidentally, I'll say, was physically and verbally abused by a VA-contracted agency CNA. Oh, wow. Home. And... That was because, in part, I'm not going to speak on this particular agency. She did do jail time. But this agency, as all agencies, have a requirement to do a background check. But they have no requirement by law. And my home-based care doctor told me this. She had to report this incident to our state, and she found this out. The agency has no requirement to act on any information they receive through a background check. But guess what? Veteran-directed care, I receive the background check on every employee that I want to hire. And then I choose whether or not. I know, but I didn't know this employee. I didn't know her background because it was a contracted agency employee through the VA's contract. So you would never, we would so never be go. able to know that kind of information. And that's, that's really key, especially when our veterans like Kimmy are so vulnerable to other people. Exactly. And Kimmy has no voice. Kimmy has no, no ability to speak. I am her voice. The only I know. And you're, I- you're an unbelievable voice for her. You're very powerful for Kimmy. And, and I think I think we are for all of our loved ones, but I think especially when we're caregivers for our children. Absolutely. So, so the veteran directed care is in 37 states in our country. That's pretty good, pretty good. But um, it's it's not everywhere, and we need it. We this is a call to action, Mary. We you need it. You need it because. Because it will help keep Tom home. Exactly. And I think think we'd be remiss if we didn't say that um, for the caregivers who are listening to this and who are caring for a veteran who is catastrophically disabled, who this most specifically works best for, I would think, is our catastrophically disabled or, you know, terminally um, ill like Tom who has a terminal disease like ALS. 
um, that the caregivers, there are many caregivers that are not receiving the caregiver stipend who are not, they're not post 9-11 caregivers. They don't fit the criteria, even if they are post 9-11 caregiver to a veteran. And they themselves can be the recipient of being paid for their caregiver, which helps them because many of them can't work outside the home anymore. They're, they're really rooted to being home. Even if they have home health care aides coming in, you still really have to be around. And it's, it's very difficult to put in time into a, a full-time job or sometimes even a part-time job, depending on where your veteran is in their disease or their injury. Exactly. You know, they, I cite a study that I cited in my paper. Um, it was a, a research project um, done uh, by the Medical College of Wisconsin, and they cited that the home cost of keeping somebody home was literally half the price of living in a community nursing home, half the price. So, I mean, it's, you know, if for no other reason to get our, our directors of our VA medical centers on board with a, a cost-benefit analysis that shows them it will save you money and it will make your veterans happy and and it will be safer. So what's our next step? We have a, a call to action for veterans directed care and I guess I want to know two things. What is our what is our next step here for Durham who we do have somebody, your daughter, on veterans directed care, but I'm being told that we don't have veterans directed care. And what do we do for <laughs> other programs across the country. I, I am hearing, because I'm somewhat tied into the veterans with ALS community, I have a veteran that I know in uh, New Hampshire who uses a program, and he has been told that they won't be accepting uh, new veterans into the program right now, that they're not going to expand the program to other veterans. I'm not sure if he knows why. Um, He's kind of busy having ALS, I think, so I don't think he knows why, but he was initially very concerned until he was told that he would be grandfathered in and he would remain in the program. So that's a little inkling that I'm getting across the country that um, some, from some other veterans as well, that maybe this program isn't here to stay. Why, so, so speculate on that for me. Why, why do you think some VAs sure. are not interested in this program? And then we'll talk about the call to action, what people can do about it. Sure. So, Mary, I believe that uh, change is difficult, and most people don't um, don't applaud change if it isn't easy. And taking on a new program like VD Care, um, it 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 even though we know it's great, we have to we have to help our leadership know it's great, and and, and we'll talk about that. But I believe that. There are so many changes that are constantly coming down to our VA medical centers from VACO, VA central office, from outside agencies that, that you know, that, that they're just every day inundated with, with wrought with all these studies and these different changes that they have to try to incorporate. And, and it's human nature to not want to change. And so to, to step out of the box and to take a program that will, virtually eliminate contracted care within the VA system if we take it fully on board. That's a tough, that's a tough swallow for a VA to change. And honestly, a VA is, is bureaucratic. It's it, a VA is bureaucracy in motion. And 
And so, you know, people are great that work in the VA, but unfortunately they're cogs in the wheel. And so it has to be a movement, a call to action. So getting around full scale to what I would, what I would say is we have to clamor from the grassroots, you know, think locally, act globally. We have to, we have to tell them in numbers how we demand this program because we know this program will work. There is oversight in the program. I used to think, well, maybe it's because our VA system is so paternalistic that they feel that we can't really take care of ourselves. And, and the loved ones that do, you know, the 23 out of 24 hours a day caring for their veterans, the, the one hour might be when they're actually with a therapist, but the other 23 <laughs> when they're behind the scenes doing all that, they can't handle it. Well, you know what? Give the people, give the people a little bit of respect. There's plenty of oversight to help administer the program. I did want to say that W-2s are how employees are paid, and that is the best way the government can monitor. There's an HR agency that is contracted by the VA that comes out of your budget as a veteran to pay for the timesheet um, uh, formulation and check writing and direct deposits to accounts. So there is not just a blind, you get a budget and you're handling the money how you want. There is plenty of oversight. But what has to happen is the VA, each VA has to readily be willing to give up contracted agency uh, agreements. And, 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 you know, as far as I know, contracted agencies they have agreements with them, but it's not that I, I will give you this much services. It's just they, they have been vetted and they're approved and they're on a list. But to change the philosophy of let's give the power to the veterans and we will oversee it and they are overseen. So I think it's just change is hard and we have to, we have to ignite others to demand it. And how do we do that? Well, I think the media. I think the media is a great way to bring this about. Um, we, can, we have a lot of care. And Mary, you know, the caregivers that I know, like you, Jennifer, others, they're movers and they're shakers. And those are the people, those caregivers that we know that have become more resilient as a result of caregiving. They're the ones that have to help bring it on board. Okay, great. I, I love that. And I um, we will share... Um, if you'll send me your article, I would love that. Do you have an electronic copy of it? I do. And, you know, Mary, if it is the August 2017 issue of Hope, TBI Hope magazine. So if you look up TBI Hope magazine and you go to the 2017 August issue, it's on page 28. You can pay to have the actual PDF where you can print it or you can um for free, check the online version out. Okay, so that's what I'm going to do. I'm going to link it to our Facebook page, This Caregiver Life. Um, and then I'm also going to try and do a couple more interviews. We have one with Lori Rogers, who cares for her son. Is that correct? Yes, David. Okay, so we'll, we're going to, Lori will um, follow this interview. Um, and then I have a couple of other people that I, I would like to touch base with and maybe do a, a additional podcasts on this topic. I think it's a great topic and I think it's really important for our veterans. And especially when we consider how many of our post 9-11 veterans who are young and maybe feel like they don't fit a program like this because it tends to fit under 
the geriatric and gerontology um, programs in the VA. <clears throat> Excuse me, I'm still getting and over no. my cold here. And and um, <laughs> and not really, honestly. It's it's we are an exception to the program. My daughter is an exception as the first recipient because her care needs were greater than what the the uh, the um, chart allows for her particular needs. She is greater than what the needs are that they've even considered. So there, you know, the, the, there, there is that avenue as exceptions, things that, that require a little bit of a different um, analogy to determine what needs are. And she's in it, Kimmy's in it. And um, I, I don't, we wouldn't, I wouldn't be here with what I have today if um, we didn't have veteran directed care. So I, I, I can't say enough about the program and I am going to do everything I can do. And I'm so glad you're on board and others to get this nationwide. Okay, we will. That's our call to action. And we, we would love to have you back on um, our podcast to talk in maybe a little bit more about this program, but I think more specifically about um, being a caregiver for Kimmy and how it's affected your life. I think that's a really powerful story. And I know that sometimes with our listeners um, and really with anybody, you know, sometimes we feel these things, um, we're going through a similar walk in life, but maybe we can't talk about it. And that's kind of sometimes what sets our Elizabeth Dole Foundation fellows apart from other caregivers is that we have a voice. We know that we can talk about it and we understand that not everybody has a capacity to talk about it, but they need to hear our stories. And you, you have such a powerful story, you and your husband and your family, your beautiful family, you have um, a tremendous amount of faith and spirituality. And I think that that could be a whole nother different um, podcast and um, for you to talk about those lower moments in your life when you felt like you weren't rowing you felt like you were going out with the tide probably and and no way to stop that from happening um we're talking we're talk- we've got you on the good side of all of that now and that is so fabulous for so many of us to have you in this place right now especially for you and your family but for those of us who are going to sort of ride, ride your coattails but we'd love to have you back for you to, to talk more in depth about your caregiver journey yeah i'd love it mary i'd love it you're wonderful. I love you. Oh, I love you too. And I thank you so much for bringing, bringing this forward and, um, and offline we'll talk more about, um, what our next step is. We have to be a little bit bold. I think maybe make an appointment with our Durham VA director or the director of social work and, and go in hand in hand, arm in arm. Yes. That sounds awesome. I'm, I'm on board. Okay, cool. <laughs> and I know you. All right. Also. So we'll, we'll talk to you soon and thank you so much. Have a beautiful rest of your Palm Sunday. Thanks, Mary. You too. Well, we thank Carrie so much for joining us today for this interview on veteran-directed care and how she personally has been affected by it in a positive way for her daughter, Kimmy, who she cares so passionately for. Uh, Carrie is a force to be reckoned with in the caregiver community. I'm so proud to serve with her alongside of her as a North Carolina Elizabeth Dahl Foundation fellow And I hope that between the two of us, we can um, work with the VA here in North Carolina to expand this program beyond Kimmy to keep it in place for Kimmy. Our veterans benefit by being able to stay in their home and our caregivers benefit by being able 
by being more in control and charge of who is coming in and caring for their veteran and giving them the breaks that they need. We did talk uh, a little bit. We mentioned Lori Rogers in the interview, and she was to follow uh, the the section, the segment that I did with Carrie. Um, but as it would be with caregivers, um, she's had her hands full. She's up to her eyes in alligators with lots of different things going on. And so um, hopefully we'll be able to catch up with her at some other point. Um, I think we got a really good idea of what veteran directed care program is about with Carrie and why we need to move forward advocating strongly. So this is our call to action. We hope that you will send us messages, contact us, contact your VA if this program is of interest to you, um, and let us know how it goes. As always, we thank you so much for listening to us, for being one of our listeners. And if you give us a, could go to iTunes, if you listen in there and give us a rating, we would love that. Um, If you have some ideas for uh, different programs in the future, it does not have to be military veteran-related caregivers. We are interested in all caregivers from all walks of life. Uh, We thank you so much. We hope you have a a great day, and uh, we look forward to hearing from you and to our next next, uh, podcast, which will be hopefully up and running by next week. Take care.